uh, we are entering Advent, but the sermon today is going to be wrapping up the series we've been doing on the great creeds, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Just to remind you, for Advent, we're going to be doing three sermons, but this year we're going to do it a bit different. We're going to use um, as our launching pad the song, O Holy Night. And there are several song, uh, um, several versions of it out there. So we're picking three of the more standard verses, and we will use those as we go through. Also, my class starting today will start, uh, begin talking about the angel of the Lord when Christ walked with us. And um, if you're able to be here, that would be great. The, the wonderful classes upstairs are well attended, and they should be. So if you're up there, please remember, this is recorded, so you're not going to miss it if you go up there. If you come down here, they're not recorded, so... You have to make your, your choice there. Uh, I think that's all I'm going to do. Oh, yes, we, um, somebody has asked. We're absolutely doing Christmas Eve services. Then they ask when we're going to do it. <laughs> Every year. Every year. And I'll say, you know, call us crazy. Uh, but we're going to do it the, the night before Christmas. People, oh, that's a great idea, that is. <laughs> well, there you are. So, anyway... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Cassilies and I went to help Miss Cammie with one of her annual projects, which is the, uh, the Scott Hamilton charity event that he holds up at the Bridgestone Arena, and um, it, it's, it's a big deal to raise money to fight children's cancer, and she's heavily involved in that, and so uh, I am, uh, because we're married, and, and this evidently was part of the vows that I was sleeping through, so I'm there. And because the Castleys are our friends, we told them that that's required as well. So I'm standing, by the way, part of it was to actually help the stars know how to get from Bridgestone Arena to Music City, Center. and I'm just going, or to the Omni Hotel, I'm just going, it's there. You know, I don't know how, but anyway. So I'm standing there, i got to tell you this, but I'm standing there with security at Bridgestone Arena and guiding people, and I'm meeting people from other churches of Christ and such, and they're, they're coming out and they're staring at me. And then they walk up, what, what are you doing? I said, this is my second job. Um, and they look and they say, yeah, yeah, I'm security here, uh, and we'll need you to move along. But um, they'll say, second, and I'll say yes, and, and also you need to know, tips not expected, but very much appreciated. And um, I didn't get any, except to not use that line anymore. We, we worked very long, and then finally, later in the night, we got to have our dinner. So we went into our room, and uh, as we sat, other volunteers, a ton of volunteers, three ladies came and sat at our table, and in sharing bits of our lives and our supper, uh, they asked me what kind of church I pastored. And that was actually the third time that day I'd been asked that question. Sometimes, you know this, the reputation of, of our tribe's name is that of being a bit narrow and judgmental. So I never know how it's going to come across. None of these people flinched. And one had said, I've never heard of you guys. I'm going, when did you move to Nashville? Um, it, it must have been yesterday, but uh, we, we talked somewhat there. I, I found it wonderful to get to share. What kind of church are we? What kind of church did Jesus envision? Did he envision... Somebody just coming in once a week, checking in with God, checking a few boxes, maybe tossing some money in a plate and getting out of there. What, what was he looking for? If you talk to some people in our tribe, you can get a very wide variety of answers. Some of them were very good. Some of them were very bad. 
all churches have a bit of their history they wish wasn't there. In fact, one of the young ladies that asked me, well, what church do you, and I told her, and she'd never heard of it, but she talked to me about her walk through, and this is not a ding on them, the Presbyterian church, and how she went to this split rather than that split over this split, and, and she's getting into politics I'd never heard of before, and I'm just nodding like a bobblehead after a while, because she, she assumes I know all of these ins and outs. Christians have always had a genius for division, and that's, that's just tragic. People who believe in Jesus shouldn't be like that, but that's part of our reputation, I guess, because we're human. Now, if you broaden the question a bit and say, well, we can ask the world or we can ask media, and that's not the same thing, even though the media thinks it is, what is Christianity? And is it a benefit to the world? Is there any value in having faith and culture, and ch I'm sorry, faith and churches in our culture? The answers are very interesting. I talk to atheists, and some atheists... Uh, will absolutely tell you that we need churches because of the good that they do. Others will not say this. Uh, in fact, one atheist wrote a book that, that got some really interesting press, and interesting in a good way, uh, about 15 years ago when he talked about, thank God for Christians in Africa because of what they brought in, in, in love and kindness and charity and care. Now, after you've got all those answers, go ask educators and work your way up in chronology from kindergarten to postgraduate and ask them what the value of faith in church is. And you're going to see all of these different answers. Why is there so much division? Why are there so many comments and portrayals of people of faith as so relentlessly negative? In fact, if you check the reviews of faith-based movies, I always find that fascinating, tragic, but fascinating. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, for example, for those of you that don't know that, that's a website that reviews movies, and it aggregate, actually. It, it, it takes a whole bunch of amateur and professional reviewers and puts their, their work together and weights it differently. Very often in a Christian movie, you'll see that those who saw it rate it in the 90s, 90% or so, and the reviewers rate it 2 or 3%. And it can be that much. It, it's just stark and uh, amazing. Why are there so many negative comments on faith-based movies or the social media comments about faith or churches? You may not know this, but churches get reviews on Google and Yelp and the like. And sometimes we have to work real hard to scrub them because we got negative reviews from somebody who didn't come here. They're just a drive-by attack. By the way, just be aware, the stores you go to, the doctor you go to, all of, they get these too. Everybody's having a hard day. It'd be nice just to be nice to each other, don't you think? And to be kind. But there you are. And by, and by the way, if you have something good to say about somebody, do that. It's necessary. It's very important. At the, at the last tragedy, whatever that might be, an earthquake in, in Alaska, the fires in California, people will say thoughts and prayers, and then all the backswell will come. Attacks on people for thoughts and prayers don't do us any good. It's a real strange time to be a Christian. In many ways, it should be the easiest time of all. We have access to media that teach us about our God and theology. They help us learn how to raise our kids and to, and to, to walk through this life and even our, our finances and such with faith. But we're also open up to everybody who wants to do a drive-by on you, a verbal drive-by. 
everybody who wants to pull you down. And we've given them some ammo. Let's be honest. Our reputation, not, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about believers, all right, worldwide. Our reputation is not spotless, and we deserve some of those stains. Churches were not guiltless when it came to matters of race. Christians were not guiltless when it came to the value of women and their place in society, social justice issues, caring for the poor, even the purity of the clergy. We have stained our own garments, and we have to, we have to admit that. But that said, who drove the movements to end slavery? Who drove the movements to elevate the status of women? Who built the hospitals and the homes and the care for the poor, the indigent? Who took care of the orphans? You rarely see an atheist hospital. You know, Our Lady of Not There at All um, <laughs> Hospital for the kids that, you know, you don't see that. Who goes? In fact, this is, this sometimes gets pressed, but it, not so often. When a crisis hits in America, church charities, including Churches of Christ charities, beat the Red Cross to it every time. With trailers, with people with their hands out just saying, this is our money, this is what we got, what can we do? Immediately hit the road. Our, I, I don't know, Gil, are you here today? Are you? I, Gilly Zell's always on, there you are. Um, I didn't ask your permission to talk about you, but we all talk about you, so I'm just going <laughs> to... I don't know that there's been a tragedy in the continental U.S. that hasn't driven him to down tools here, load up the trailers, and go take care of them. God bless you. That's what Christians do. Christians are everywhere doing good, but we don't get a lot of press for it because we don't look for it, we don't want it, that's not why we're doing it. So it's a confusing thing. We, may, we take care of people, we, we take everything we've got and pour it into other people, but we've also made mistakes. So let's talk about who we are. When Christians lose their way and treat their faith as a mere tradition that comforts them or as a product that must meet their needs, uh, whatever those needs might be at the time, some sort of a spiritual consumerism, or when we're just blind to the needs of those Jesus sought out when he was here on earth, we need to stop and reset our faith. Whenever you catch yourself going, well, service was all right today, but I didn't care much for the sermon, or, or that Bible class didn't really get to me, or, you know, I wish they wouldn't sing that song. You're treating us like you're treating Kroger or Target or store. You don't want to do that. And I'm saying you, you, you. By the way, I've done it. I've caught myself doing this. Uh, more often than I'd like to admit, we need to pull back and reset. And the creeds were designed to help you reset. And this is our last lesson on them. Not the last time we're going to visit them. And I hope you found these lessons valuable. Christians used these for 1,400 years to move forward. And many Christians still use them. But they used them because they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have access to, to media to help them learn the languages and the nuances and the history of Jesus. They had to have a core faith. Were things perfect? No. Crusades or Spanish Inquisition, anyone? We weren't perfect. But the Spirit continues to work on us and make us better. 
The Spirit continues to move us forward. The Spirit did not retire at the close of the canon of Scripture, and He has not retired since then. He is still changing us. He's still moving us forward. Let's look at the last sections of the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Let's look at those a bit longer. Now, if you can't read them, that's why we want you to sit closer. No, I'm kidding. Um, you, you should have these, at least in your head somewhat. Take a look at them. Just spend some time looking at that. What do you see? I see, I see optimism. I see grace and love. I see a reason to be positive here. These creeds define us as a people of faith, hope, and love. And spoiler alert, that's what we want to talk about today, being a faith, hope, and love church. But that's what we're known for. So when somebody says Fourth Avenue, they're not going to say, oh, you're the church that does this, or you're the church that doesn't do that. But rather, oh, you guys love people. You guys live out your faith. You guys bring hope. That's who we want to be. I got to tell you that I think you're doing a bang-up job. I'm not going to be here saying, all right, shape up you. You're doing fantastic. You're my happy place. But we can all remind ourselves to be better, can we not? And be a faith, hope, and love church. This should remind us of what Paul left for us. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Look at that optimism. I will know fully, just as I've also been fully known but now faith, hope, love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. In Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. We know that, but we forget it. Little kid draws us a picture. If it's your kid, you know, draws you a picture. And, and, and you always say, oh, tell me about the picture, because there's no way you can decipher what this thing is. And they'll tell you, well, that's you. And you're going, seriously? And, and, and they're moving around. What do you do to it? You go, you know something? The perspective's wrong. I'm sorry, but the ears can't be that size. If they're like, you don't do this. You say thank you, and you treasure it, because you really do. You're not putting on. You really do. And you put it on the refrigerator, or you put it in a file, but you, you, you treasure it. It is not perfection, it's the love. It's the love that matters. The little yingling girls came up and hand, hand did cards for me, little things, because they knew I'd put my father into dementia care this week, and it was a hard time. And uh, I looked at him, I said, oh, great, now you're going to make me cry. I always tell my wife, I'll cry tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm storing up. But these things are lovely. Uh, whenever I am put in care or die, my kids will have to sort out what this is because I will still have it. I have these files of it. Love matters. The optimism matters. Greatest matters. What matters is love. So that's what we do. That's what we work on. That's how we reset. In fact, the last portions of the creeds look a lot like Paul's statement here. In 1 Corinthians, I'm going to turn back here and look. All right, that's a weird yellow, isn't it? I don't think that's the way we meant it to be. It just kind of went, all right. That's not going to be the color of the auditorium when they're done. <laughs> I... Now, if you come up and ask me any question about this and what's going on, my answer is I don't know. Why? Not my lane, not what I do. Uh, I, I let other people do that. But this, I will die on that hill. All right, okay. <laughs> 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. I love that picture. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Exactly the song we sang before I stood up. That's what we believe. And we are optimistic because we believe this. This is the gospel, the good news. It's what we're all about. We believe in one church. We believe in one body of believers that encircles the entire world. We don't believe that we are the one church. We believe we are part of the one church. As, as our, my new neighbor down in Spring Hill, Rubo Shelley, wrote years ago, Christians only, but not the only Christians. We know others are calling upon God, and we treasure them. We love them. We believe that the kingdom of God exists now. It is not some pie-in-the-sky idea. It lives. It breathes. It is now. And we believe that every heart that truly believes that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God, is part of that kingdom of God. Are they perfect? Have they done all obedience? Of course not. But they are wonderful. They are our brothers and sisters. We divide when we say more than the Lord says about faith and practice. I want to say that again. We divide when we say or try to say more about faith and practice than Jesus does. We'll look and we'll see a passage and it will say, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And we jump into the middle of that pie and start putting our fingers everywhere saying, no, no, now, it's faith expressing itself as long as you're baptized correctly, the church is organized correctly, that you don't sing a song, and you just keep going on and on. And we divide. How serious were the founders of this congregation in 1833 about unity? They united with another group of Christians led by Barton W. Stone that didn't believe Jesus was co-eternal with God. To me, that's a big deal. I think Jesus is, and I believe that he is co-eternal with God and that that's very, very important. But they were so desirous of showing love and unity, they didn't let that stop. They refused to go further than God said. God didn't say, you may unite with people unless they do this or don't think this. When I was a boy, I had three older sisters. So I have suffered much. I know persecution. I shall rise again. Sometimes, my mom would make biscuits. Now, my mom, I love my mom. I always wanted to grow up to be my mom, and still do, because she's just, she's a wonderful, wonderful lady. She's an Irish cook. That's, that means she can't. Uh, and, 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 and it's tragic. It is. Um, there were, the crimes against food were done repeatedly. But, um, you know, the smoke alarm, oh, it's time for dinner. You know, and, and we'd go on and I just, there's so many stories I could tell you. I will tell you this. We used to eat before we got there on Thanksgiving. Because, uh, and the stories I could tell. But anyway, love that woman. She's a great, great wee woman. 
she would sometimes make biscuits, and that she could pull off. I'm not sure if they were the papam or whatever, but they were real biscuits. When they would be delivered to the table, they're, they're, they're not put in the same number of people at the table. And immediately the eyes are looking at the bread, knowing, you can almost hear in the background that, that little, do -do -do -do, do -do -do. you know, it's a little western, you know, and everybody's going, all right, what are we going to do here? And my sisters would always lick their fingers and hit something <laughs> and say, that one's mine. One day I'd about had it. <laughs> they come in, they go, that one's mine, that one's mine. That's... And I just looked at them and went, you can have it, you can have it, you can have it. And just... <laughs> we want to grab and stick our fingers where they do not belong. We just, we want to. I will see people on social media talking to traffic engineers about what, how they're doing it wrong. And I'm going... You know, they, they might know something more about that than you. Just maybe. We always want to interrupt the person who knows what they're doing. And God says, this is what you need. And we say, that's lovely, God, but it's not enough. Let's add a bit. And it's always Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. Not here. We are a faith, hope, and love church. We're going to let God run his church. There's a fellow that writes a series of papers, self-publishes them, and sends them about, and he calls himself God's watchdog. You know, um, I don't think God adopted him. I, I don't think he went to the shelter and said, ooh, that one looks mean. Let's bring him and turn him loose amongst the family. But do I attack him? Nah, he'll get his own audience. He'll do his bet. My job is faith, hope, and love. My job is not to be a watchdog against the watchdogs. I don't have time for that. I have a lane. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to do what I do. It is, um, it's fun to stay in your lane and just go, not my job. My job is this. I do this instead. We will divide when we decide to stir every pot, even if it doesn't belong to us. Leave alone. In fact, some, some will say Jesus is Lord and still be lost. Look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does, now this is very important, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what's the will of the Father who is in heaven? Faith expressing itself in love. Faith, hope, and love. That's it. That's it. Paul even said, I preach the word of the gospel to you. If you grew up in a very legalistic church, you know that the word gospel didn't seem to make much sense because they'd say, it means good news. And I'd be going, when do we get it? That would be lovely. Um, I'm ready. But the word of the gospel, what is the word? In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word. He's the good news. He's got you. He's got you. My father got confused several times during the three days it took to get, jump all the VA hoops and get him into a home. And he can't see and he can't hear and he's confused and he's upset and sometimes a bit afraid. It's difficult. But every so often, um, they would need to move him and I would just kind of wave them off and I would go over and I'd lean over and kind of grab under at his clothes and say, it's Patrick. And he'd say, okay. I'd say, I got gotcha. you. 
We need a Savior who says, I gotcha. You're okay. And we don't need everybody else in the room going, I don't think he's gotcha. (laughs) uh, If I were you, I'd like to have some more equipment. But that's what people do in churches. We say, we love Jesus. And they go, but how do you love him? What song did you sing? Did you clap on one and three? <laughs> Which is a sin, right, Mark? That's a sin. It, it, it is. Um, it, 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 he says, at least they're trying. They are so trying. They, thank you for getting that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Shannon's a psychologist. I like you. I, I just want you to know that. Thank you. I want you to look at this slide. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down to the lake and caught all kinds of fish. You're all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish fish and baskets, but threw the bad away. Don't get panicked. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's hold that slide up there. Several things you need to notice. The fish never get to form committees to decide what fish are in the net. They don't get to have a meeting saying, all right, I know it's God's job, but we'd like to stick our fingers in this pie. No, no, no. Angels are going to take care of that. And you might be thinking, well, that's some relief, but what if they throw me away? All right, quick question. Are you wicked? Unlikely. Don't play the humble card here. You're unlikely to be wicked. What you might want to say is that you're not as holy as you'd like to be. I think we can all say that, right? I just realized that that could be, pronouns are a mess. We, we could all say you're not as holy as we are. No, that's not what I'm saying. We can all say we're not as holy as we'd like to be. But you're not wicked. You're his child. He loves you. Get over it. The angels do the dividing. We don't. We believe in the communion of the saints something that transcends time and place. Hebrews 12, we've read it so many times. It is why Alexander Campbell, while not a pacifist, was, was staunchly opposed to war because he said that might put a believer in the position of having to fire upon another believer. And he said that is untenable, unacceptable. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. What does that do for us? It's huge. It means you don't have to get all your jollies now. You don't have to get all your joys now. Satan tries to make you feel like you've got to get all your happiness now. For years, the, the only Christmas commercial that really got on my nerves was the one where the guy looks at him, and there's one where the woman's just really snapping toward the guy, and he gives her a Mercedes with a big bow on it. I'm thinking, I wouldn't. I would say, this is what it was, but I'm taking it back. Watch it leave. My wife isn't, you see, I can say that because I'm never going to buy the Mercedes and she's not sniffy. All right, there we are. I've noticed this year, everybody's doing the car thing. There's a truck out there with a bow on it. Then there's a Hyundai, you know, the Hyundais are getting in on it, you know. And I'm going, you know something? The world says you got to have everything nice right now. We, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. I can still remember when the first time I put on my coat and my dad's hands came out. You know what I mean? Some of you do. And you're going, "Uh uh-oh. That means not only have I peaked, but the peak was back there somewhere. And the devil will say, oh, you'd better hurry. No, we believe 
than the resurrection. The devil frightens us out of taking appropriate risk. On your deathbed, you will, you will regret what you didn't do, not what you did. I've been by a lot of them. It's just, that's the way it works. So what kind of risk? I can remember once a lady, we were in Detroit area. Lady came in, she asked me, could you help me, could you help talk my daughter uh, out of going on a mission to Kenya this summer? I said, why? She says, well, that's dangerous in Kenya. I said, you, you live in Detroit. We're always afraid. Don't risk, don't risk. Jesus says, risk it all for faith, hope, and love. Remember these words. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you, that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught with them. Hang on, I went to the wrong version. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We are baptized. We are forgiven. We entered the water of baptism. We were immersed, a reflection of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. In, in obedience to the command of Christ, we entered the water and came out now the temple of Christ. We are part of the communion of saints. And those words should comfort us. We are part of something worldwide. We are part of something universal. We are part of something holy. We are part of something that transcends space and time. We are part of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are part of us. They live in us. The invisible chorus is around us. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Would you stand, please? Let us close with a recitation of the portions of the creeds that will end our journey through these essentials of our faith. What we're going to do is read the apostles, because it was written first, just the last part, the new part that we're looking at today, and then we will read the Nicene together. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. For all that now remains is faith, hope, and love. Let us live what we say we believe.